I was in a meeting the other day, actually, and somebody came up to me and said, glad to see you, I heard you were dead. <laughs> uh, I'm not actually dead, I am a good bit older than probably when you last saw me do this. It's actually quite a long time. And I realize now that it's quite intimidating because it's the first time I've spoken at a meeting when I realized there are people at home who have the power to stop me, rewind me, fast forward me, or just basically turn me off. So, but you, you can't do that, the people here in the room, so that's, that's amazing. But getting older, the worst thing about getting older is actually your memory fades in terms of uh, not remembering people's names. So I apologize this morning if I don't remember who on earth you are. Um, I, will, I will bluff my way through it. There was another, a lovely elderly couple who'd both been widowed, and they were in their 80s, and they went out to dinner one night, and uh, the, the guy had fallen in love with this lady, and he said to her, will you marry me? And she said yes. It was all really lovely. They were 85 or something. And um, the next morning, he woke up, and he couldn't remember whether she'd said yes or no. And he didn't want to ring her up because he thought it was rather embarrassing. But eventually he got the courage to do it. So he rang her up and said, Ethel, I'm really, really sorry, but um, I, I, just, I, I know I proposed to you last night, but I can't remember whether you said yes or no. And she said, thank goodness you've rung. I remember saying yes to somebody last night, but I couldn't remember who it was. <laughs> uh, There's a lady and her daughter on a train... And on the other side of them were a school teacher and a boy from the school. And they went into a tunnel, and there was a sound of a kiss followed by a sound of a slap. And when they came out of the tunnel, nobody said a word. The lady thought that the boy had kissed the girl, and she had slapped him. The girl thought the man had kissed her mother, and she had slapped him. The teacher thought the boy has kissed the girl, but she thought it was me, and she slapped me by mistake. And the boy thought to himself, this is absolutely amazing. We go into a tunnel, I kiss the back of my hand, I slap my teacher around the head, and nobody says a word. <laughs> and quite often in life, we make assumptions that are wrong. And uh, I want to talk about one of those assumptions this morning, that maybe we are confused very often in our own personal lives and the life of this church, or in all the churches, as to what is actually going on. And uh, I hope maybe we can unpack that, something, something from the, the story of the children of Israel. False assumptions are very easy to make. Uh, some of you may have assumed that Riverside has always been as it is now, or as it was when, before COVID. Of course, the truth is, we met in someone's home to start with, three couples, then we went to another house, and then we ended up in Ashfield Road in a house, then we went to Swansea School, and then we went to five or six different locations on a Sunday morning for several years, then we came back together again at Queensbridge, and then we went to Camp Hill Boys School, and then we were thrown out of there, so we went to Camp Hill Girls School, and then eventually we went back to Queensbridge, and then we went to Queensbridge, and we went to Bourneville. So we've been on a journey for a long time, and so the changes taking place today don't don't, uh, don't face some of us. He says to you, I heard an American preacher speak once, and he said, he said um, everybody says to you that when one door closes, another one opens, which is true. But nobody tells you it's hell in the hall. And I want to talk a little bit about that hell in the hall, if I may, this morning. You might call it the land in between, or some people call it the liminal space. It's a space between two fixed points. Uh, for most people who go through it, it is a, it is a very, it's a lonely time, it's a confusing time, it is a scary time, it's an exciting time, it is a time of loss and a time of gain. It's the time between when you finish one job and you haven't yet started another, or you don't even know what the next job is going to be. It's a time between leaving school and maybe having a gap year, not showing what's going to happen next. It's the time between 
buying a house and maybe having to, to, uh, uh, to rent for a time because you haven't yet found the next one. It's the time between being single and being married. It's called being engaged. It's the time between retirement and, not dis and discovering the next thing for your life. These are periods in between. They're not the main event, but they're very, very important times in our lives. And they happen to us individually, and they happen to us corporately. In the Bible, there are many examples of that. Joseph, you remember, had his life with his family back home, and then he ended up being a ruler in, in, in Pharaoh's court. But in between, he was in a prison for many, many years. That was his liminal period. That was his... Land in between. Uh, you can think of David, but he was anointed king by Samuel, but it was many, many years later that he became king. And in between, he was harassed and hounded by Saul. It was his liminal space. It was a difficult time for him. You can think of Jesus. There was time with his family, and then he was time in his public ministry. And in between, he had 40 days in the wilderness. You can think of Paul. He became a Christian on the Damascus Road. And then uh, he was out being the great preacher and apostle of the faith. But in between, there was 14 years in Arabia, which we know nothing about. And these liminal spaces, these times in between, are, are very difficult times, but they're incredibly important times. A, a guy called um, William Bridges wrote a famous book on managing transition. And he made these two quotes. He said, this is Marilyn Ferguson, an American futurist, it's not so much that we are afraid of change or so in love with the old ways but it's that place in between that we fear. It's like being between trapezes. It's Linus when his blanket is in the dryer. You may not all understand that quote. There's nothing to hold on to. And André Gide, a French novelist, said this, one does not discover new lands without consenting to lose sight of the shore for a very long time. And what I want to share this morning is the importance of embracing the hallway, embracing that liminal space, embracing the time uh, in between. Remember, for the children of Israel, and in William Bridges' book, he, just, he uses as an illustration the, the wilderness wanderings of the children of Israel between Egypt, where they were secure, but they were uh, slaves for 400 years. That's generation after generation. Parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-parents, all had been slaves. That's all they'd ever known for 400 years. And yet God wanted those people in the land of Canaan, uh, leading the, uh, taking over the nation, conquering the nation, and it being their land. And there's this space in between, this liminal space that God takes them through in order to prepare them. Transition, somebody said, birth momentum, create passion and enthusiasm for the next phase. They are a clear break from the past. They are a breathing space. How long do they last? They last anything from two days or ten minutes to two days to two weeks to two months to 40 years. For the children of Israel, if they had walked from Egypt to the promised land, it would have taken them just over two weeks. But actually it took them 40 years because what was going on was a process that took far longer than it needed to take. And for church life, it's very similar. During the period of COVID, every church went through a period, a liminal space. They went through a period where things were not as they were, nor are things as they would be. And with Riverside, in some senses, we are still going through that period. We've come out of COVID, but we're still in a position where we're, we don't quite know where we're going. We don't quite know what the future holds. And it is space, it's a land in between. And uh, for many people, it's a hard time. I know that some of you from Bourneville congregation, you just got settled. You're just beginning to really enjoy it and find really, this is fantastic. We can invite our friends. We've got this place that we know at Dame Cabri or whatever place is called, uh, Dame Elizabeth Cabri. And uh, we've got this place and everything's good. And suddenly it's gone. 
and you feel bereft and you feel a bit angry and a, a bit confused. That's not there anymore. And from the people at Queensbury, it's not there anymore. And here we are in this strange place and, and we're doing other things in between. It, it's a confusing time. And the great danger is to follow the children of Israel. Because what they did when they were in this space, because they were confused, is that they began to look back all the time and say, I wish we were back in Egypt where we had good food. I doubt they did. Where they worked hard all day and all night. But at least they felt secure back there. And so they began to complain. In fact, on the very first day as they come out of Egypt and they come to the Red Sea and realize they can't go any further, they begin to complain. Moses lifts up his rod and the waters part and they go through. And then it's a great celebration. Miriam gets out her tambourine and they're dancing and praising God. Suddenly they realize there's no water and they begin to moan and complain. And God's, uh, Moses strikes a rock and the water comes out. And they praise God and it's all wonderful. And then they come to Elim, a place of springs. And then they go out into the desert and they start to complain again. There's no food. And so God provides manna for them. And because the manna is lovely on the first and second day, but not very good after that, they get a bit bored with it, they start to complain again. And God sends quails from the sky. It's a series of complaining, of moaning, of, because they don't understand what is going on. They're confused. Why has God taken us out of this place where we were at least secure to wander around in this wilderness? They have no real understanding of what is happening in their lives. And I would suggest that some of us in our personal lives, we get into those spaces and, and they're, they're lonely and confusing and, and begin to panic. We don't understand. And as a church, it'd be very easy for us at this time to think, what, what's going on? Where are we really going? Is there really any future for what we're doing? Now, I would like to suggest that there are three very positive things about the land in between. The first is this, that it is a place of preparation. It prepares us for the next phase. The children of Israel, if they had come straight out of Egypt and into the promised land, would have been a complete and utter disaster. They would never have been able to take the land. They would have had no understanding of who they were or the understanding of God. It would have been a terrible thing. So they had to have this period. It shouldn't have been 40 years, but they needed to have that period of time. And so it's the same with us. In, in, in uh, William Bridges' book, he makes this very interesting statement. He said, transitions always start with an ending and always end with a beginning. And unless you deal with the ending properly, you will never really discover the new beginning. And for most of us in life, life is a series of endings of things. When you're a very small child, your freedom ends because you go to school. When you leave school, the school companionship ends because you go out into the world. And uh, then you get married and freedom ends. And a new life starts. And then you have children, and freedom completely ends. And, uh, and then children leave home, and suddenly you feel bereft again. It's a series of losses all the way through our lives, losses and gains. But we, we're not very good at dealing with the loss. And if you're going to deal with loss, you have to acknowledge the loss and say, look, this has happened. And you have to actually uh, be sorrowful about it. Be, give thanks for what we've had, but recognize the pain of the loss. But when you've done that, and you've worked that out in your heart and in your life, you then need to move on. You can't live in that all the time. We have to move on to the next period. But the next period is often this in-between time. And so we're always looking back to when the good times were there before. But the in-between time provides us a preparation for the next phase. Uh, Bridges says in his book this uh, quote, he says, the neutral zone, which is what he calls it, 
is the winter in which the roots begin to prepare themselves for spring's renewal. It is the night during which we disengage from yesterday's concerns and preparing for tomorrow's. It is the chaos into which the old form dissolves and from which the new form emerges. It is the seedbed of the new beginnings that we seek. It is a natural, to feel, natural to feel somewhat frightened and confused at this time. So it's, it's an important time because it prepares us for what is coming, even if we don't know what it is. The second is that it's a place of understanding. It's in that middle ground that you understand and you come to terms with who you are. In the job spec idea, when you had a job, people would say, to who are you? And you basically say, I'm a solicitor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a bricklayer. Your identity is wrapped up in who you, what you do. But now in this liminal space, you have to discover who you are. There's a famous story about Margaret Thatcher who went to an old people's home and... Um, she said to this lady who had serious dementia, she bent down to this lady and said in her inimitable voice, Dear, do you know who I am? And the woman looked at her and said, No, I'm afraid I don't. But if you go to the desk, I'm sure they'll be able to tell you. <laughs> There's a lovely story of Albert Einstein who was on a train and um, the, the, the ticket collector came round and he said to him, can I have your ticket, please? And he ruffled everywhere. He could not find his ticket and his jacket and all this. And eventually the conductor said, don't worry, Mr. Einstein, I know exactly who you are. Everybody knows who you are. There's no problem to I'm sure you've got a ticket. You're an honorable man, so that's absolutely fine. So he wanders down the corridor to get the other tickets. And he looks back and he sees Einstein on the floor trying to find his ticket. And he comes back and says, Mr. Einstein, we know who you are. There's no need to get your ticket. I'm sure you've got one. And he looked up at the conductor and he said, that's not the problem, he said. I know who I am, but I have no idea where I'm going. <laughs> and uh, the liminal space provides you an opportunity, maybe not to know where you're going, but to know exactly who you are. The children of Israel had to discover that they were God's people. They belonged to him. They were a community that belonged to the living God and that God was to be their God and was to guide them. And it took them through this period to discover that. They didn't know it back in Egypt, but they needed to know that if they were going to enter the promised land in the way they should. And I would want to suggest that this for all churches and particularly for Riverside is an incredibly important time to recognize who we are. I don't know if you observed this, but during COVID, for two years, pretty well no churches met. And so the old phrase we used to have, what church do you go to, became complete nonsense because nobody went to church. So you couldn't say to somebody, which church do you go to, because we didn't go anymore. You had to begin to say, which church do you belong to? And if you didn't belong to a church, and you'd just been going to a church, then you were lost. Because the church was never a place you go to, it's a place you belong to. It's a community. And that supremely is what the church is. And what we've discovered through COVID and now is a fresh recognition that the church is not a building, a place. That the problem with buildings is that they easily define you and they can confine you. St. Mary's, St. Agatha's down the road here, or whatever it happens to be. It's not a place. It's a community. And COVID and this period of time at Riverside has given us the opportunity to discover in a fresh way that we are a community, wherever we are and whatever we're doing. And a community is basically three things. It's a bunch of people who are committed to one another, to love one another. They are committed to God, and they're committed to the world outside. And if you are that, you are a church. And a church is no more than that, and it is no less than that. 
That is what a church is. And in the liminal space, in the land in between, the children of Israel discover who they are, and we as a church can rediscover again in a fresh way. This is what we are. We are a community. By the way, this is not community this morning. A, guy, a wonderful guy called Robin Dunbar at Oxford University did some research on community, and he discovered that the optimum size of any community where people can feel they belong to one another is 147. And once you get beyond 147, or 150, I suppose, you lose the sense of belonging. He said, this today is a celebration. It's a gathering of the... Well, not the whole church. Actually, probably a third of the church are here. But it's a, it's a celebration. But the community group that you and I belong to, which for me is the best thing in the whole world, the small group you belong to, the triplet you belong to, that's community. That's church. And, and we discover again, when we don't have a building, that church is actually the gatherings, the small gatherings of community of people. And we come together to, cele to celebrate. The children of Israel were not a rabble in the wilderness. They were, they were divided into families, into tribes, into a people. They knew who they belonged to. They became a community on the move. And that's what we are. And not only are we a community of people who love and care for one another, but we're a community of people who are learning together. I heard somebody this week said this. This is a description of discipleship. Learning truth in the company of friends. I love that. Learning truth in the company of friends. So when the children of Israel came into the wilderness, the first thing God says to them is, I want to give you the Ten Commandments. I've got to show you how to live now. And then he gave them a whole lot of other stuff that you read about in Leviticus, if you've ever wandered through Leviticus and died in the middle of it, probably. But, then, <laughs> but, but, but a lot of other rules about how to live on the move. And so he's saying, I want to teach you how to be the people of God. And that's the essence of what this community is about. We're, we're a learning community. We're, we're trying every, every week, every day, to hear something from God that will touch us and change us. And we do it together. And we learn together. That's discipleship. And COVID did not stop that. It actually increased it, in fact, as we sought to follow God in our, own, in our own lives. And for them, they had the tabernacle in the midst of them. They knew God was in the midst. They were a community who not only were committed together, but they learned to love God, and that's what we are to be. And uh, in, in all the different ways that we meet. And then thirdly, the church is a, is a community that is always looking out to other people. Because the Holy Spirit working in us is always bursting out trying to reach people outside of Christ. And what's very interesting to me is that most of us during the COVID period made more contacts with people who are not uh, Christians than ever before. Through our WhatsApp groups, through the people we met in the street, etc., etc. And so COVID did not, in any way, God was not shut down. There was no lockdown in heaven. The Holy Spirit did not respect lockdown. Things were moving even greater because the church is a community on the move who are reaching out all the time uh, to other people. And interesting, if you read in First Peter, exactly the same thing. Peter describes the church in different ways. He says the church is, um, we, are, we are bricks or stones built into a building, a temple. That speaks to about relationships, that we are a community together. He says not only that, but uh, we are a holy people. That speaks about discipleship and learning from God to grow in his ways. And that we are to declare the praises of God uh, to those outside. So he describes the church in exactly the same way. So as we, as we are in this period, it is an incredible learning period of how to be church without a building, without walls. 
And the church is at its strongest. And in the early church, it grew at its fastest when there were no buildings. The Chinese church grew at its fastest when they were confined to only having a few people meeting in homes. It should never restrict us. So the liminal space is a confusing and difficult time, but it is the preparation for what is to come. What is to come? I have no idea. By the way, it isn't a new building. That will be part of it. But that's not the vision of God. The buildings are never the vision of God. The buildings are there to serve the vision of God. And the vision of God is always to bring more and more people into the kingdom of God. And then thirdly, it's a place of trust. The children of Israel supremely had to learn to trust God. That's why there was no water. That's why there was no food. Because they had to learn that it didn't come from the hand of the Egyptians. It came from the hand of the living God. These people had to learn in this period of time because they were going to need it later on when they went into a land flowing of milk and honey. They needed to know that God was the provider. Now, if you've ever thought about this, when they provided, God provided manna, it must have been lovely on the first day. It was, a, it's like, it was like a crunchy bar for breakfast. Uh, can you imagine several crunchy bars for breakfast and then for lunch and then for dinner? Fantastic. Fantastic for a day. Pretty good for a week, a bit off for a month, and foul for a year. And no wonder they complained. But they were being fed. They had to learn that God simply would look after them. And that's what happens in these liminal periods when you're feeling confused and a bit lost between jobs or whatever. You learn something fresh, that actually it isn't the payroll you had when you were in your old job. It's that God looks after you. And he will look after you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. I've had a number of these periods in my life, and probably the most profound was when I left medicine. I was a medical student, and for a number of reasons I can't describe now, I left medical school. And three years later, here we were in Birmingham with a whole new ministry. In between time, I went to a Bible college down in uh, Dorset. I lived with another guy called Tony. And during that time, we had a job, and we got paid on Fridays, and we ran out of money on Tuesdays. And every week, from Tuesday to Friday, we had to trust God for our money or we didn't have any food. It was an incredible learning period. We, we actually, we knew it was going to be okay because when we got there, we, we were looking for somewhere to live and um, somebody said, there's a lady in St. Mary's Road and she's a widow. She might put you up if you ask her nicely. So we knocked on her door. Her name was Mrs. Samways and she opened the door and we said, we hear you might be willing to take in two guys. She said, I'm not really willing at all. She said, but don't go away. You've got to come. Because a few days ago, I was praying. God spoke to me and said, two people are going to come and live with you. And she said, I've moved my, main, my bed out of the main bedroom into the back bedroom. And I put two beds in the front room. I'm waiting. I suppose you better come in. <laughs> and uh, we lived there for two years. And that was the beginning of an adventure of learning to trust God for provision. Which set us up, because when Lois and I came to Birmingham, you may have read this in her book, maybe not, or I hope you have. Um, it, it, uh, when we first came to Birmingham, for the first 14 years, we had no income. We had to trust God every single day that he would provide for us. But because I had some period of learning that, of trusting God, in that liminal space, in that in-between space, it was a preparation which I didn't know about, which was yet uh, to come. And, and that's incredibly important. If you're in your, personally at the moment, you're between these two places, then learn that it's a place of preparation, and you prepare by letting go of the past and moving to the future. It's a place of understanding, who am I? Without all the trappings, who am I? I'm a, I'm a child of God, and he loves me. It's a place of learning to trust. 
And as you learn to trust, God is preparing you for the future. And your little space might be very short. It might be quite long. It might be very long. But whatever it is, it's, it's a place where God is, as he was for the children of Israel, where they followed the flame of fire by night and the, and the cloud by day, and his presence was amongst them. It was an incredibly important time for they were to go into the land. Let me just conclude by saying this. Um, as God took the children of Israel through the wilderness, so he may well be taking us as a church and certainly many of us as individuals. And if you're in that space, if you're in that place of preparation, of understanding and, and trust, uh, then it is a growth period in your life and in our lives because it's a place where we have to basically throw ourselves back among God. And if, if in the church you feel, I can't cope with this, I suppose if you're in the children of Israel in the wilderness, you could have said, well, I'm done with this. I'm going to go and find another group of people who are wandering in the desert and see if I can join up with them. You could do that. Um, or you could just opt out and go back to Egypt, I suppose. It would have been difficult, but you could have done that. And, and same in church life. You can, you can say, I, I don't care for this. I think I'll go and find another church that's got a proper building and does proper services and does things right. But I would encourage you, actually, all of us together, to see this as an adventure together and seeing where God uh, is taking us. Consider the present experience and embrace it. Thank God for it, because God is in control. Give thanks for the past, and let's leave it behind. We will not be going back to Queensbridge. Some people say, oh dear. Others say, praise God. We will not be going back there. We are, we are moving on to something else. Learn trust and obedience on the way. And look up and look ahead. There is a promised land coming. Something is happening. Something is going on. Um, <clears throat> we were discussing with a whole group of church leaders the other day and talking about the fact that this period is still a period of recovery from COVID. And we were noting that actually there are many churches that are recovering backwards. They're recovering out of nostalgia to go back to what they were. And there are others who are recovering forwards, recovering into the something that is new. The children of Israel battled the whole time until they came to that place where God could say, you're ready to go in and take the land. And of course, we know the rest of the story in the book of Exodus and on, onwards from there. And uh, I'm, I'm trusting as, 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 that we will see, still see the revival God has for this place in our lifetime. Although we may not have as many years left uh, uh, as we did. Let's pray together.